This is Artist Stories, a podcast that centers experiences of artists whose lives have left a lasting imprint on the Southern Arizona creative ecosystem. I'm Janae Sanchez, and today we welcome Jonathan Rodriguez, sound maker and multidisciplinary artist. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me on Artist Stories today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. So I would love to just jump into talking about your practice as a sound maker and a multidisciplinary artist. Can you tell us more about that and you know how you got into this this medium and what kinds of doors has it opened for you as a creative? Yeah, it's kind of hard to define the medium. I think it's mostly, like you said, sound making, sound discovering, I don't know, maybe sound design. Yeah, I mean, I definitely started by playing music and it's kind of just developed into this current practice over the over the last 15 years or so. But basically what that means for now, at least, is kind of collecting um, any and all sounds of a particular uh, environment, whether it be, you know, sounds on the street or from, you know, a rally, basically non-musical sounds. Actually, what we would consider non-musical sounds is kind of the thing that I'm interested in. So I, I uh, collect a lot of that material and then kind of rework it and turn it into what I would consider these sound installations. Mm-hmm. And also like along with all those field recordings and whatnot, like I also do accompany it with live instrumentation too. And that can vary just depending on what's around me or yeah, just depending on what's available. Sometimes it's drum sets, sometimes it's pots and pans and you know, it just, it, it, it can change. Amazing. As a person who has witnessed your art, it's really an immersive experience as you're performing and you're actually creating simultaneously. Can you talk about the importance of that, the live aspect of of your work, planning a performance, but also incorporating those live components in the moment? I think it's changed a lot over maybe since the pandemic hit you know, we were spent with all this time and at least for me and my practice, and I'm also somebody who really enjoys collaboration. So much of this practice was developed out of collaboration. And because of the pandemic, we were no longer, you know, able to meet in person. The people that I was collaborating with ended up finding a way to collaborate in these non-traditional ways, mostly trading email audio files back and forth. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I kind of just had these email, like audio things back and forth and they were ideas, you know, they would kind of range from anything that was like verbal or spoken to maybe a field recordings or to, you know, like live instrumentation, like guitar or something like that. And I kind of discovered this really lo-fi way of using these audio files in real time. And I created a setup for myself where I could do that so I could play drums or play an instrument while controlling these audio files at the same time and kind of manipulating them and recreating the things that I would do, like, let's say on a computer or while I was trading those files with people. So it was really, in a sense, a response to the pandemic or it was amplified, perhaps? Yeah, I think it was like probably amplified. It was definitely like a skill set that I had been honing in for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, just when everything hit, I mean, there was no work for myself or, or the people I was around anymore. And this was a way to continue working. And I, I don't even mean like in the monetary sense, but just like to find a way to continue creating and creating with people and, and continuing to create like meaningful things, you know, albeit this, this alternate method. 
the digital world. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then bringing it into a physical world. Yeah. And so, the, yeah. So then, you know, it was like, it, it was amazing because it yielded all these possibilities that I had yet to consider. So then when I came back to kind of redoing these things in, a, in like a live real-time situation, you know, I had to kind of problem solve and figure out ways to do those those things that I was doing digitally. And yeah, it kind of yielded this whole like new experience. And as far as like the live performance thing, to me, music is a thing that happens live. Like it's an event. It's a, it's a reason for gathering, you know. Recorded material is absolutely beautiful too. And it's, uh, I think it's like archival in many ways and stuff. But to me, there's nothing like the live performance. And that's where like the actual music making happens. That's where the exchange happens. Oh, yeah, that's so beautiful. Uh, so you're a project creator grantee, and you engaged in a process and and performed during a, the binational art walk in Douglas and Agua Prieta. Can you talk about that project? Yeah, so this this project it's called Bodies on the Border, and it's it's kind of been this ongoing thing that has taken many shapes over the over the course of of its time. Basically what I did was I went back to my hometown which is Douglas, Arizona, and Agua Prieta, Sonora, Mexico, where all my family is, all my friends. As you and I know, it's a place that has a lot of generational homes, generational families. I basically did two things. I collected again, all the field recordings from there. So it's like sounds of the border, of the physical border, the fence. Um, you know, sounds of like the environment there, raw sounds, no, again, no musical sounds. And then what I also did was I, I just gathered with people. I hung out with people and, you know, asked them if it was okay to turn on the recorder and basically interview the participants in these informal ways. And like, usually it was over food or, you know, drinks or something. So it was like, very informal. We just conversed, basically. I just asked them questions about their life. And uh, mostly the questions were centered around like um, work. What does work mean for that particular individual? What does that mean in reference to the border, in reference to that area, in reference to migration? Mm -hmm. Basically, from those two um, avenues, what I did was rework all the material into this sound installation to kind of recontextualize all these narratives. Beautiful. So the narratives reflect real moments with family members and friends on both sides of the border? Yeah, on both sides. And in um, some cases, like generationally, um, you know, a person's grandma and then, you know, the individual and then maybe their child. So there's there's different levels of perspective as well. Amazing. Well, I loved your performance at the Art Walk and uh, one of the just really impactful elements or visions is just you as a performer. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what is that like? Where, like? What do you do beforehand? How do you prepare for a performance that involves really your whole physical being, right? To be immersed in a moment. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> like, I feel that's like something that I'm always kind of aware of and constantly practicing. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and yeah, I guess it could be like a sort of double-edged sword too, because like if you're out in the real world and you're like, I don't know, say you're hanging out with somebody or like, you know, you're out with people, you don't necessarily always like want to be in your body. You know, you want to be engaged with the people around you and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot, actually. And I spend like a lot of time 
working that out, not in any sort of like active ways, but just passively. Um, and, and I don't like prepare for it in any sort of specific way. It's just kind of something that's always on my mind. I think it's like indicative of some sort of pulse that I'm feeling like when I'm mm-hmm. working out the material in real time, especially because none of the, you know, the majority of the music that that I'm working on these days is, is largely um, improvised. So there's no, nothing is yet to be fixed or nothing, there's nothing pre-planned. Mm-hmm. There's um, no choreography. Yeah, there's nothing like that. And I guess maybe that's my way of grounding myself you know it's not something that i just kind of like actively think about um even in the life situation it it just kind of happens you know it's not really like something i can control (laughs) yeah i mean i think you know mostly i play drum set but that's like it's a pretty physical medium in and of itself you know right so maybe some of it also comes from that i think this is a great segue to talk about your upbringing as an artist what are some of the key frames if you can think about if you think about your life right your trajectory as an artist as a film like what are some of those frames that stand out the most i think i just got like really really lucky i got really lucky i was growing up in douglas at a time when it felt like music was just very accessible it was like very vibrant there so there were always people around me kind of engaged in it and then you know aside from kind of like my surroundings as as like a i don't know a citizen in the community i guess my like just immediately my household was diverse in in music styles like my parents listen to a lot of you know traditional mexican music and then uh my older brothers listen to a bunch of different st- uh, stuff too so i was able to pick and choose from their interests and their likes and stuff like i was saying you know i just got really lucky there was people around me making music and when i was in seventh grade i just ended up playing like music with some of these people around me we started you know kind of rock bands and stuff and at the time i also had a a seventh grade math teacher who was like super awesome. I would pick his brain because he was into like rock music at the time. Uh, Yeah, I'll never forget this, but like I went to go visit my brother in Tucson actually. And you remember those serious channels that would like play or, you know, those TV channels that were black, but would play music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So I, I went to go visit my brother and he had these channels and and like we were in the kitchen or something and he was cooking food and he had one of those channels playing. It was like the rock station. Those are satellite <laughs> channels, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he and you know, this channel was on and it was playing music and all of a sudden this song comes on and it was uh, Iron Maiden. It was this song called The Trooper. And my stomach just like turned and I had these like butterflies. And I remember having like this very physical response to this music. And I was like um, very moved by it. I was like mm-hmm. blown away. And I had, and up until this point, I mean, I had been around music a lot. I really enjoyed listening to it, uh, but I had never really been moved the way that I had been moved that uh, particular time. Mm-hmm. So when I went back home, to or to Douglas and then you know started school on on that Monday or something I I went up to this teacher and I told him like have you heard this and he's like yeah you know that's my favorite band and that ended up creating this whole trajectory for me really because he he ended up making me some like mixed CDs that had you know some of Iron Maiden and a bunch of other music on there that kind of like really was uh was like really inspiring for me 
it was like interesting to hear all this new music and also to see that like somebody was interested in it other than myself, you know, and, and my, my peers who were my age at the time too, you know, I thought like, oh, maybe this is like music is actually a thing that like people do really care about, you know. Amazing. So from that point on, what instruments did you pick up? Yeah. So what happened was like, you know, I started getting into music and everybody around me was also like, or, or when I say everybody around me, I mean like, you know, the few friends that I had around me and we would have been maybe like around 13, 14 at this time. I had always wanted to play drum set. Luckily, everyone else around me was like picking up guitars or basses. Nobody really had drum set and I had always wanted to play drum set. And so I don't know if you remember this, but when like when you went to school, they would you would get a lunch ticket. Do you remember this? Oh gosh, I have to like dig dig back. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least while, while I was going there, we have to we had to have like a lunch ticket. Okay. And you had to pay you had to pay for the lunch ticket, or I I had to pay for the lunch ticket. It was like a dollar. So what happened was like my parents would give me a, a dollar for these lunch tickets every day, mm-hmm. and instead of using that dollar to pay for the lunch ticket, I would kind of just, I would stash it away. You know, I wouldn't, I would not eat lunch to save the dollar. And I thought like, if I just, (laughs) if I save, you know, like 400 of these, like I can buy a drum set or something. (laughs) So I started doing that. And then like, you know, every now and then I would go to the movies or something with some friends and, you know, my mom would give me like a few dollars and I would use like the least amount of possible and save whatever was left. And then like, tell my mom like yeah yeah, I spent it all or something and um yeah and like eventually like I had so much money and then my my parents like put in the rest of the money to buy like you know this this beginner drum set or something but uh yeah it's it's both it's been mostly drum set along the way but um I ended up going to school for music and and uh in order to take drum set lessons I had to learn kind of a slew of different instruments I had to uh, learn like marimba and timpani and cl- and classical snare drum, bass drum, and all the all the trinkets that come along with that. And now you are really close to completing your Doctor of Musical Arts at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I know your focus is percussion performance. The projects you're working on it's super interdisciplinary. Has this program really allowed you to have that artistic freedom to explore the way? you know, you're creating in this degree program? Yeah, that's a that's a really, um, really great question, actually. Yes and no. In many ways, it's been very supportive and maybe mostly in terms of like accessibility to certain resources. And then on the other hand, it's also been really difficult to try and enter, you know, I guess something that you would consider very specific in a, or something as being specific, s- such as like a, a percussion performance degree concentration and I, I I tend to do some things that some people find challenging to accept under that umbrella you know under those parameters I guess um, so in that way it's been hard to like receive certain support okay well, you're, you're you're so close to the finish line and yeah it's gonna be great they're gonna be really <laughs> blown away I'm sure by by your dissertation so <laughs> yeah yeah I hope so. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also like not. That's not to say that I've had a um, a bad time in academia either, because it's also been like very stimulating for me too. And I've met so many, so many good people there, and I've had great teachers. And and you know, for for the ways that they are not supportive, there are, there are also ways that they are supportive too. You know? mm-hmm. 
Awesome. So you recently just got back from a trip from India and uh, a part of it was to produce and for content creation for Till the Teeth Project. Can you tell us about Till the Teeth Project and what was that trip like? Yeah, I got to go to India in August and I was there for a month and I went with um, a good friend of mine. His name is uh, Sandesh Nagaraj and we met uh, here at the University of Washington. Yeah, and we went and we we ended up recording kind of several days worth of, of sessions, um, improvised sessions um, at some studio in, in Bangalore uh, called Catalyst, Catalyst Studios. And aside from that, we also did a, a, we just did one performance there. And then we also ended up taking some music lessons around there on um, Indian classical music and some music from the area as well. But yeah, it was kind of, it was divided between like work and pleasure, really. It was, it was, yeah, I was finishing up kind of the the last year of my coursework and had spent a lot of time working on many, many different projects at, at the beginning of this year and and uh, much into the halfway point of the year too. And, and when I was done there, I was just kind of like, just totally burnt out really. And it turned out that Sandesh and I had, had received some grant to be able to pay for this trip. So we ended up using the grant money and then we just kind of decided that we would mostly spend our time making an album there instead of playing so many shows but uh, making the album there and also collecting like field recordings and doing kind of those things that I was mentioning to you about the bodies on the border project yeah so we ended up doing something similar to that not not necessarily collecting many interviews but much of the field recording stuff yeah and then aside from that it was like a lot of uh eating food like tons of eating food. I was on a constant go. It was like a totally immersive experience because I was staying with Sandesh's uh, family with his mom and dad. And they were just kind of like super enthusiastic about us being there. And they were just so very willing to show us around. And we went to so many beautiful temples. And yeah, it was just such an incredible experience. Yeah. Amazing. The pace of like the day was so... I don't know, it just felt so great too, because it felt like, yeah, it was like stimulating enough that it, you know, you, f- you feel like good. And I guess like, I hate to use this word, but like productive, but also it's like slow enough to enjoy everything around you too at the same time, you know? So it's like really nice to participate in that. And like, as I got into the routine of doing that, you know, was, after a month, it was kind of like the biggest takeaway I had was thinking to myself like, oh yeah, like happiness is a practice, you know, like that was the thing that I kind of left there thinking about the most, you know, because they were, they were also like, (laughs) while I was there, there were, you know, at some, like some days I had to get up like really early because everybody wanted to go to a certain place or, Mm -hmm. you know, like things of that nature, things that I wouldn't have necessarily chosen to do. Right. And I would find myself in those situations kind of uh, resisting somewhat. And then after like giving away to the or give rather giving in to the moment or just like deciding to be okay with it, you know, it just became clear to me that it was like, oh, this is this is a practice. And mm. and it sounds like as I say it out loud, at least to me, it sounds like, well, yeah, like, of course, <laughs> you know, but it's just yeah, it was so, so easy to forget. But while I was there, it felt like I was, yeah, I don't know, just like it offered so much clarity, I guess. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, you know, I I have similar feelings, especially when I'm in Douglas, right, or in in Mexico. Mm-hmm. It does feel because even though you have things on an agenda, it's a it's at a pace that works for like somebody's body to function mm-hmm. in a healthy way. So I I can really see what you're saying. I would love to ask you about your artistic influences or influences in general. It's tough, if, it's tough to say, actually. I, I spend a lot of time actually trying to not have influences, actually. Mm-hmm. At, at, least, at least at like this phase of my art making. Um, but there are definitely like, you know, again, some foundational people I turned to like, you know, again, Iron Maiden was a really big one for me. That was like, um, huge. And then (laughs) this like other band called, um, Dream Theater and that style just in general was like really important for me. But more recently, I would say maybe like the biggest influence within the last, I don't know, five, 10 years or so was coming across uh, Raven Chacon's work, which I think you're pretty familiar with him and his work or, or, or the or um, the collective that he I'm not sure if he's in or was part of mm-hmm. post commodity yeah post commodity mm-hmm. while I was doing my master's at the University of New Mexico there was a exhibit in the gallery there of all his work and some of his work featured some of these vignettes of these field recordings from the from the area there and it just like really kind of solidified many of the ideas I was having at the time about music and about sounds and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So that, so when I came across his work, it was like, oh my gosh, here are all these things that I've kind of have thought about in some way or another that have like actually been manifested into something, you know, this is what it looks like to make this kind of, kind of art. So it was like just coming across his work really just like made me think like, oh, I, I can do that actually, you know, it is mm-hmm. like okay to do those things or, yeah. I love that. Oh yeah, I I was really lucky to see Raven's new work at the Whitney Biennale. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's video work, but also like these images, like he did some image making um, with text and mm-hmm. graphic work. And what I love, like what I also love about his work besides the sound music work he does is just in general like the experimental nature right of this body of work Mm -hmm. and he masters it in his own ways and um it's so like deeply embedded in community yeah he's he's i don't know he's something else and he was just kind of yeah i mean I, i i just came across his time at a or came across his work at a time where i felt like i really needed it and it was kind of really important for me to stumble on on his work that's amazing yeah and then yeah i'm also kind of like motivated and inspired by like actually really mundane things you know like um just kind of encounters on the street or like like generosity or something like those things are really motivating too um and it's actually like these days it's a lot less music i think i was telling you at one point but it's mostly like or rather trying to like extrapolate all the really special things that happen in the day to day. I'm really like motivated and curious about those interactions more than I am like listening to music or engaging with like certain media. Yeah. Other than like, other than reading really like, like I, I am not really consuming too much music or like movies or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
like you're consuming your surroundings instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then the other thing is, is that like, I'm just, I feel like I'm around it so often, you know, I'm around like music so much and like I'm practicing or I have rehearsals or, you know, working on some score or something. So I, the other thing is like, I'm around it so often that by the time I'm done with it, it's, I'm just too, too tired to really like listen to, to anything actively, you know? Okay. Wow. So you're just in the moment and then inspired by that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and try resting, to be, I don't know. Like resting yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's as like graceful as it sounds, but yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, what are you excited about right now? What are you working on? What's coming up? Yeah. So actually that, um, one of the scores that I wrote, which is a text score that, um, was initially part of that bodies on the, on the, um, bodies on the border project got, um, accepted into this conference, the percussive art society, uh, international conference or convention. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I ended up writing this piece basically about like (laughs) how Douglas works. I'm sorry about how language works in Douglas Mm -hmm. and Agua Prieta and how we like bend language. Basically we manipulate it and play with it and create these sort of, you know, new words or whatever, you know, we, uh, I think people think of it as like Spanglish or, you know, we associate these kind of like negative terms with it, but yeah, it's basically this piece that I wrote on the flexibility of the language there. Um, so we're going to present it on November 8th in Indianapolis. And I'm actually going to present it with Till the Teeth. They're going to be the other members performing it. And since it's going to be the three of us and we'll be in Indianapolis, we decided like, oh, let's just make a tour of the tri- of the trek back home. So that's what we're going to do. We'll fly to Indianapolis and then we'll we'll like rent a vehicle or something. And then we'll we'll make some stops along the way. We'll play at a couple of universities and a couple of venues. Amazing. And I think that'll be like, yeah, a total of like 10 days or so. Oh, so that's coming up in November. Yeah. And how can we find out more about that project or or the dates be posted and the venues? Yeah, okay. the dates will be posted on, um, you can find all the information on our Bandcamp and it's just bandcamp.com backslash till the teeth. Okay. And you can also find links to Till the Teeth at my website too and all the things that I'm doing um, at my website, which is just jonathanrodriguez.net. Sweet. Perfect. That's amazing. I'll be sure to keep up with you guys. And, and it's really amazing that, you know, some of this um, this work, Project Creuso, is a part of the history and the way that it's developing and changing. And it's really inspiring to see that. Yeah. Thank you so much. So we have a segment called Random Questions. Okay. Do you want to jump in? Let's do it. All right. So if you could time travel, what point in history would you go to? Oof. That's such a good question. There are so many of them. No, my immediate, my immediate kind of gut response was like the eighties, <laughs> like the, the really early eighties, like late seventies into eighties. I think maybe around that time. So to be an adult, the time period you were born. Yeah, basically. If you could collab with anybody in the world living or not living, who would that be? Ooh, living or not living. These are really hard questions. Maybe Basquiat. <laughs> ah, I like that. Maybe, also maybe Kerouac. ¿Qué desayunaste? Mm. <laughs> I got that from your website. Yeah, enchiladas. 
Leftover enchiladas de pollo. Okay, takis or Doritos? Takis, all the way. If you could be an animal for a day, which one would it be? Cheetah. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? I would be able to shift into a different animal. Okay. All right. That's the conclusion of our random question <laughs> segment. Thank you for entertaining my questions. Yeah, that was awesome. Jonathan, it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation. And we're just really in awe of your work and the trajectory that it's taking you. And can't wait to see how things move along in your future. So uh, we're really happy to be a part of your story. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you all for, for being such, yeah, such a, a support system in this work. And I really appreciate it. This has been Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the city of Tucson and Pima County. You might recognize the name Jonathan Rodriguez. He is responsible for the Artist Stories theme music, and I thought it'd be fun to listen to a few more samples of his work. The first one is titled Lengua Madre from 2021, a sound installation that was commissioned by Border Arts Corridor to accompany the photography of Luis Carlos Bernal. And the second piece you'll hear is titled Love Story, Futuro, from 2022. This piece was commissioned by Las Fronterizas for the community event called Mis Amores Fronterizos. I hope you enjoy. A veces me pongo a visualizar lo que quiero para ti y tu legado En un mundo ideal en el que tu futuro dependiera de mí sin consecuencia alguna Derrumbaríamos las barreras físicas y mentales que te rodean Como en Berlín Esto, en mi opinión Causaría un flujo de oportunidades para todos. Los migrantes serían bienvenidos sin importar de dónde vienen o dónde van. La diversidad traería nuevos pensamientos. Y esos pensamientos 
se usarían para construir una comunidad de primer mundo. Las actividades ilícitas ya no serían necesarias y tu nombre dejaría de ser sinónimo de muerte y perdición. Una, una utopía fronteriza. Si dejo mis deseos de lado, la verdad no sé si voy a estar para ver futuro fronterizo o si mi familia del futuro te va a conocer como yo te conocí. De todas formas, si me voy o me quedo, siempre voy a formar parte de tu comunidad. Ya tomé muchos litros de agua y por más que quiera, mi amor por ti me vas a regresar.